Thank you for being here, guys. It's going to be a good morning. It's been a good morning. How many of you guys appreciated that worship? Thank you, Jackie, for sharing that affirmation song and the worship team each and every week. We really love and appreciate you guys. So this morning, I'm going to be continuing our Esther series. This morning, I mentioned it last week, I'm going to get more into, last week we talked about pride and humility and how there's these different characters that are contrasting in all the ways that God desires for us to submit and be humble and not let pride overtake us. So if you missed that, go back and check that out. I gave essentially the narrative as quickly as I could uh, because this is a, a story with just you, it's 10 chapters, but when you read it, you kind of have to read the whole thing because it's a story that ends with cliffhangers. There's this turnaround, reversal, all these amazing plot twists and turns. But today we're going to be talking about timing and God's providence in our lives. So how many know feel like sometimes timing is everything, right? Like you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time and you can be in the right place at the wrong, right time. It, it really can determine the things in our lives that happen share a quick story with you guys. This is a story that Sarah loves to share, my wife. Uh, her, her dad, and he watches Facebook Live sometimes, so he can comment and verify the story if I get the facts right. But when she was a little girl, uh, he was out at some event with uh, this youth group. He was a pastor at the time, and this former youth student of his became a youth pastor and he brought his youth group out so they had one of those 15 passenger vans because you wouldn't be a youth group without it and what he was doing was he was standing there it was on this field I think it was like a fair or something so they're out on this field and he was kind of helping them back out this 15 passenger van and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time it just so happened that they were trying to back out I think there was some mud or something some dirt and all of a sudden the, the, the van comes char- kind of backing up at him too fast for him to really get out of the way. And his calf got crushed in between the hitch of that and another car. And he was rushed to the hospital. Wrong place, wrong time, right? <laughs> like, that's not great. Um, trying to help out. He, but he was rushed to the hospital. And as he was being checked out by nurses and doctors, they were saying that it was a real possibility that he would have to have his leg amputated. You might have seen him visit. You know that he has two legs. So thank God he didn't have to. And the reason he didn't have to, because it just so happened that in that, at that day, there was a doctor from Mass General, which if you don't know, Mass General is one of the best hospitals in all the country at this other hospital in New Hampshire where they lived, who was teaching these doctors in that hospital on this particular new procedure that was going to be able to help save people's legs from being amputated. In that same moment, that same day where he happened to get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, and this horrible accident happened, this doctor was able to hear about it from from nurses. He was able to step in, and he was able to do whatever he needed to get done in order to save his leg. Right place, right time, God lining up instances. You might say, people might look at that and say, oh, it's just coincidence. Like, But it's an amazing coincidence. Sometimes in life, we experience coincidences, big or small, these things that other people might look at it in, in the world and say, that's luck, that's luck. But we know that God orchestrates things, that God's in control. So like I said, last week we kicked off our series on Esther, and I'm just going to catch you guys up real quick. It's a story that takes place in the Persian court during the time of King Xerxes. Remember, 
300, if you've seen that movie, That King Xerxes. I don't know how fictionalized that is, but same kind of guy <laughs> as That King Xerxes. He's often drunk, he's a very powerful guy, and he's very rich. And he kicks out his queen out of his palace, Queen Vashti. And this sets up this whole line of events that leads to, after a year or so, this young Jewish girl named Esther becoming his new queen. While all this is happening, Esther's cousin, whose name is Mordecai, he's a, they're, they're Jews, you know, he is faithful to God. Because what happens is the king Xerxes promotes this guy, uh, Haman, I think that's how you say it, Haman, to become essentially like his right-hand man. This guy, he gives him all this power, and this guy is power-hungry. So as he comes in and out of the, the king's palace, all these people are bowing down to him because he was like, I want to be bowed down to. This is my privilege as the king's right-hand man because he was all about getting more and more power. But Mordecai, in his faithfulness to God, it doesn't directly say that, but it's implied, does, refuses to do so. And Haman doesn't like that. It takes him off. So he decides, I'm going to set out with the king's permission. I'm going to put out this edict that all Jews throughout all of the Persian Empire and beyond must be executed, must be killed. So he sets out to conduct this mass genocide on all the Jews. And things at this point aren't looking great for, you know, Esther and Mordecai. Esther at this point hasn't, she's concealed her, her identity as a Jew. But things aren't looking great for them in the 5th century Jews. But sprinkled in this story, we see all these divine coincidences setting up a different story for God's people. Throughout the story, we see that God's hand is at work in Esther and Mordecai's circumstances. And that ordinary events, or what seem to be ordinary events, are being weaved for the reversal, reversal of their destiny. These events are happening. These minor things, seemingly minor things are taking place to bring them from impending death to ultimately flourishing life. So today I want to take a closer look at those divine coincidences, a couple of them, that show us that God's always present. He's always designing a perfectly timed story. We might not perceive these things that God is doing, but when we choose to put our trust in him and when we submit to his ways and his timing, we're ultimately able to grow in ways that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise that only he could set up for us and orchestrate things in our lives for us to grow in certain ways. And it, in that, we get to be a part of the beauty of what God's up to. He's always working things out for, for his redemptive purposes. And when we join in and, and look for those things, when we, when we live our lives by faith, we're able to take part in that. So after Esther's story, when you look at it overall, if you, it's a story about an orphan girl. She's adopted and cared for. And at a very significant and God-ordained time in her life, she becomes royalty. She overcomes fear and takes part in God's life-giving plan. So I believe that's, that's what God wants for you and I. He adopts us as his children. He invites us into a relationship with him where we're ultimately cared for and loved. We had our night of worship and prayer this last Thursday, and Paul led us in worship, and I love the theme he chose. He chose to talk about or sing about, really, 
where we stand as children of God and God is our heavenly father. And that's what he was kind of hitting on, uh, that we are cared and loved for. That's one of the greatest things that we could have, that people desire deep down inside, to be cared for, to be loved. And God, in God, we have that. And so, as his children, in relationship with him, we're able to see his purposes reign and rule in our hearts. He's our king, and we're a part of the kingdom, just as Esther was invited into this kingdom. And we're able to be a part of those life-giving, redemptive purposes that he has. So as we get more into this, I just want to pause and, and pray over the rest of our time together. Would you join me? God, we thank you for your love for us. Just as Jackie sang that song over us, we receive your love this morning. We open our hearts to your love this morning. Whatever that looks like in our lives, whatever we need in this moment, maybe we need your love to show us your, your, your grace and your forgiveness over us. Maybe it's your love uh, renewing and restoring an identity in you. God, I pray that uh, shame would go this morning, that fear would go this morning, God. We declare and believe that those don't belong to us, God. And we grab hold on to everything that you have planned for us. May we step more into your purposes. May we see a clearer picture of what you have planned for our lives. May we recognize more and more how you're working and even the ordinary details of our lives. So God, be with us as I continue to get into this message and uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God's care and protection for his children, that it, it can come by m- these big, mighty miracles, right? God is all-powerful. He's able to do these miraculous, huge things. But oftentimes, it can come in the ordinary, unfolding circumstances of each and every day. One thing leads to another. God's lining things up in ways that we might not even see. He directs the flow of human history through ordinary lives of people who are submitted to his purposes and his and and committed to seeing his promises come to life. The reality is that any deity worth its salt can do a big, mighty miracle, right? We see it even as Moses goes before uh, Pharaoh, and and they, you know, he he does all these signs and wonders, and they try and come back with theirs, but God's is always greater. But even in that, God does these amazing, mighty miracles, but he's working in the ordinary things He's working in Moses' family relationships. He's working in just how, how he lined it up so that Moses would be found and brought up in this palace so that he would have an intimate knowledge of what was going on in, in, in royal Egypt at that time. He, all these things that God lined up in very ordinary ways aside from the miracles. So our God is so great, so powerful, that he can work without miracles through ordinary events in billions of people's lives throughout all of time to fulfill his purposes and his promises. And we know, just as I said, the, the divine coincidences that show God is always present and always designing a perfectly timed story. So one of the first major coincidences in Esther that I want to look at, it happens in chapter 2. It's before we even get introduced to Haman before he goes on his uh, power rampage of, I'm going to kill all the Jews, uh, Mordecai 
To give you a little context, Esther Esther's just selected by King Xerxes to be his queen. And during this whole process, we see Mordecai, you know, her adoptive father, her cousin and but adoptive father, who loves and cares so much for her. Continuously, he's going by the gate. You could probably imagine if you had a daughter, maybe you do, her being separated from you. And you having at that point no control, like you just aren't able to even get in there really to talk to her whenever you want. And he's just going by the gate just to kind of watch her. I kind of think of like a a dad when he sends off his little girl or, or kid to school. And they are outside of the property just looking around, watching them, making sure they're okay. It's kind of like like that, only on this whole new level. Like She is the queen in this pagan society and was kind of thrust into this. We don't know if she was willing, but the text really shows us that she didn't really have a choice. She kind of, you know, the king was just like, I want to gather a bunch of virgins because I don't like my last queen. I'm going to pick a new one from these virgins, and we'll see who I go with. Um, and she just kind of gets caught up in this. But Mordecai, he... He, because of his love for her, because he knows that God has plans and purposes for her life and his life, he's watching. He's at the king's gate. He can't get inside the, the inner court. Well, uh, just as I said, she's selected, and, and the, what happens is they throw her this big festivity, this holiday. So while she's in there and, and they're throwing this coronation, Mordecai is outside. He couldn't enter into there where the Esther was, where the king's officials were, where anyone important was allowed. He essentially went as close as he could. Imagine just being there watching her, Esther being celebrated. He was, she was someone that he really cared for at the lowest parts of her life. He likely was feeling some worry and some fear. He was probably thinking, would her ethnicity come to light and she'd be in danger? Would she get caught up in this pagan culture and just completely forget about him altogether? So it's there that we find Mordecai at the king's gate with what's going on inside the gate out of his control. He likely feels a little bit lost, a little bit out of place, and he's probably wishing he had more influence to ensure Esther's safety. Yet in the midst of all this uncertainty and all these feelings, we know, we see that Mordecai is exactly where he needs to be. In verses 21 through 23, it says this, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, (laughs) how great are those names? (laughs) I don't know, like Big Thana, just think of like, Biggie and Thanos, so I don't know, like this big dude, we'll just say. <laughs> but they're, they're two of the king's officials. They're at the gate. Two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot. He just so happened to be there in that place where he was probably, you know, felt a little bit out of place. He was there, the right moment, the right time, right place, right time. And he told the plot to Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. 
And when the report was investigated and found to be true, two officials were impaled on the poles. All this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence of the king. So for Mordecai, the king's gate was likely a reminder of his limits. But it's there that he happens to be in the right place at the right time. We see later it's the wrong place, seemingly the wrong place at the wrong time, because that's where Haman passes through, and he doesn't bow down to him. But in this moment, he's in the right place at the right time. He overhears the plot, their plot to assassinate King Xerxes. He's able to get the message to the king, and it just so happens that he overhears the plot while she's queen. He could, this plot could have happened. He, he hung out at the king's gate, I'm sure, other times before she was even queen. But it just so happens that God's timing lines things up so that Esther is queen, so that he has a source that the king can trust, that can, can, this deliver, message can be delivered through. So he's able to get the message to the king through her, and it's written down in a book that will come to play this very significant role in the way things could play out. So for us, when I look at this passage, I think about how we can feel out of place. Anyone ever feel out of place before in your life? Maybe it was a job that didn't quite line up with what you expected or envisioned for your future. Maybe it's a disconnect that you feel uh, from someone in your life that you really love and care for. Maybe it's even something as simple as like a living situation. The reality is that wherever you find yourself, whatever you're going through, God sees you and he's not surprised by where you are. We can work ourselves up with all kinds of stress and worry and anxiety, wondering, am I in the will of God? Like, is this where I should be? And I think it's important to, to really prayerfully go through our lives and as we make decisions, because we're faced with decisions day to day, and really ask, like, God, is this a, where you have me? Is this an assignment? But I think that sometimes we can get so worried about it that we miss out on, on what God's doing around us, that we miss out on the people that God's placed in our lives or events that are happening. For Mordecai, he was... Well, he probably felt out of place. Well, he probably felt like he was limited. He was still being perceptive. He was being aware of his surroundings. And God just so happened to put him in the right place at the right time for this thing that would set up later a great reversal of events. So God's will for our life, it doesn't always look like we what we expected or what we really hope for. Sometimes we can just choose to trust and believe that God's working out things in his timing. There's real freedom that comes in that when we live that out. That we can go about our day. We can make decisions by faith. If we make decisions by faith, and and I, I, I really believe if we step out in action, like God will correct us if we're wrong. And and we can make decisions in as best we can with the wisdom that we have by what we know from Scripture, our relationship with God. But any time that you choose to act and make a decision out of faith, I believe it's better than letting your fears limit you. So regardless of our felt limits or our circumstances that don't line up with what we desire, 
we're faced with a decision daily to be present and aware of what's going on around us. God may be using us where we are to get us to where he needs us to be. So don't take for granted that job that you might hate <laughs> or might be just not what you expected or what God's doing even in maybe, like I said, a relationship where you feel this disconnect or you feel like you're going through something, God might be using that to help you examine and take a look at your heart, what's going on in you. God, like I said, can use these circumstances, all these things to grow us in ways that we wouldn't have been able to come to on our own, that make us really pause and think, why am I at where I'm at in my life? What's going on around me? And God, how can I step more and more into your promises in the ordinary things of life? But the story doesn't end there. We're left with a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? If you read it, you'll see that pretty much immediately after he saves the king's life, like, thanks a lot, Mordecai, he, it's written in this book, and that's about it. Like, <laughs> he's still hanging out by the king's gate, like, doing his thing, and it immediately goes to Haman. Like I said, that power-hungry guy, and tells about his up, basically climb up the ladder in the king's palace. You would think at this moment would be the moment where Mordecai, he's the one climbing up the ladder in the king's palace, but no, it goes to this pagan guy, Haman. And we see, as I said, uh, like I mentioned, that he commanded everyone to bow down to him, and Mordecai refuses, and it sets out all these events that eventually get to the point where Haman is at his end with Mordecai. It bugs the crap out of him that he can't get Mordecai to bow down. And not only does he set out to kill all the Jews and set out this edict that all the Jews should be killed, but he's taking it personally with Mordecai, and he wants to execute him personally. His wife suggests, set up this pole that you can hang him on, and, and we see that he sets out to do that. And in the midst of all this, also, there's Esther, Still the queen, still has the trust of the king's heart. So, this plan is set in motion, but Esther's there. And we read, and that's where we get the famous uh, scripture where Mordecai, he, he some, he's basically, through other people, is communicating with her. And he's asking of her to, to intervene, to go before the king, to tell him of what's happening. And she first responds with fear. She's only thinking at first about her life and the fear that she could go before the king when he didn't summon her and he could have her killed because that was typically what would happen unless the king was okay with it. So we get the famous verse where Mordecai essentially says, he, I'll paraphrase, he essentially says, were you not made queen for such a time as this? that God placed you in this position to be able to rescue and, and save his people. And Esther, she eventually goes before the, the king, and, and the king allows her to, to speak to him and make her requests. And so she does, and she, what she asks for is for a feast, a banquet with the king and Haman. And so Haman thinks like, oh, wow, I'm being invited to this feast with the king like this, and, his, and his queen. This is awesome. I'm doing great. 
this power-hungry thing that I got going on is really working out for me. Um, and he goes, and ha- they have this, this feast. But something happens in the midst of all this. Because she doesn't immediately, when they get together for this feast, she doesn't immediately expose him. The king says, you can have anything that you want, up to half the kingdom. It's yours. Just say it, and I'll give it to you. Whatever you want, what can I do for you? And she's like, let's just have another feast tomorrow. <laughs> like, let's postpone. Let's just hang out for a second here. You know, me, you, the king who, you know, forcibly took me as a queen, and this guy who wants to kill all my people. Um, let's just do it again tomorrow. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, it just so happens that the timing, for whatever reason, maybe God spoke to her. We don't know. It's, it's not clear on that. Maybe she just felt off. But for whatever reason, the timing wasn't right for her. And she says, tomorrow, let's do it. So that brings us to the next major coincidence. Esther's request to have the feast the next day is granted. She's ready to bring Haman's plot to an end that day. But before that happens, in between the feasts, on the eve of Haman's plan to execute Mordecai, the king has trouble sleeping. It says in Esther 6, 1-2, That night the king could not sleep. He ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Sound familiar? <laughs> that book that we, where we left Mordecai off at, where he wasn't given this new position and elevated in authority, but was just recorded. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So this is pretty incredible coincidence, right? <laughs> Out of all the nights, if you read through all of ten chapters of Esther, there's a couple of things that really stick out. One is that as we said, God is always working to fill his promises and his plans when it's not evident to us. And the second one is that Persians and Jews know how to eat. <laughs> they can feast, right? So there's this Hebrew word, the mista. It's, it's a word that's translated in the NIV as feast or banquet. It occurs t- in Esther's 10 chapters. It occurs a, to- occurs a total of 20 times. So there's a total of eight feasts in this book. So by, any, by these standards, if nothing else, this should have been a great night for the king to get a good night's sleep. Like, he would have been in a food coma, I would assume. He's constantly getting drunk, constantly having these feasts. Like, you should be sleeping good, right? <laughs> and for whatever reason, this night, by God's, the reason we know, God working things out in the seemingly ordinary, the king cannot sleep. He has a sleepless night. And his solution isn't to just pop some Z-Quill or some melatonin. He's like, you know, what's, what's my version of that? It's probably read the book of Annals, <laughs> bore me to sleep maybe. But for whatever reason, he decides to, to go and, and, re- and have this book of Chronicles read back to him. And out of all the things, I'm sure this was a big book. Like, this was years ago that this happened. Out of all the things in that night, He's directed the, whoever's reading it to that particular instance. And he's kind of appalled, like, how did I not reward him? Like, he has to get a reward. And by this happenstance, by this 
situation, in God's perfect timing, Mordecai's life is saved. Haman, Haman's plot to kill him and kill the Jews, it's, it's turned around. It's the seemingly insignificant event of the king having a sleepless night ends up being the pivot point in this entire narrative. As insignificant and ordinary as it may appear, it's where the tables were really beginning to turn and the reversal of destiny begins to occur. So we know, as we read this book, as we look at our lives and think about it, that God's always present and is always designing a perfectly timed story. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't perceive it or sense it, we can rest in that, knowing that God's in control. We can stress ourselves out trying to think that we're in control, and when things don't go our way, we can think, what did I screw up? What did I do wrong? Or we can just choose to seek God instead of seeking the timing when God, maybe God's asking us to make a move, and we want to pray those things. God, when, when's the right time? But ultimately trusting that if we're serving him, if we're worshiping him, if we're following in his ways, and we're submitting to him daily, that he'll lead and direct our steps. Proverbs 16.9, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, essentially says that man plan, people plan their ways, but God directs their steps. And we can make plans in our lives, but how many know plans get interrupted, things happen, but God's, it doesn't mean God's absent. God's working in our lives. So the major theological point of Esther is that throughout history, God fulfills his covenant promises through his providence. In other words, God preserves his creation. He's operative in all that comes to pass in this world, and he directs all things to their appointed end in our lives. Simply put, God sees us, and he provides what we need when we need it. God's will for an individual's life is unfolded through divine providence day in and day out in the day-to-day things of life. And I think the, the problem we often run into sometimes is that we confuse what we need and when we need it. We can think that in our own wisdom, in our own human nature, that we know what's best for our lives and miss out on inviting God to show us what's best inviting God to, to interrupt our lives. Maybe you, you feel comfortable where, you are, where you're at, and that can keep us from experiencing where God wants us to go. That's what it was at first for Esther, but thank God she had someone in her life who encouraged her, who pushed her, like saying, this. no, you, you have to overcome these fears. God's going to do this with or without you. He's going to accomplish his purposes. It's up to you. Do you want to be a part of that? And that's how it is for our lives, for what we're going through. God may ask us to do something difficult, to face a difficult circumstance, and to even put ourselves out on a limb and and risk looking stupid, (laughs) risk losing something. But maybe God's asking you to do it anyways, because he wants to accomplish something. And and we get to be a part of that. We have the choice, the decision to make. Do I want to live my life in fear or do I want to live it in faith? So the book of Esther, it's the most 
true-to-life biblical example of God's providence precisely because he seems absent. His name isn't even mentioned in this book. Even in the most pagan corner of the world, God is ruling all things to benefit his people in this story. Even when his own people like Esther and Mordecai make decisions and their motives are kind of ambiguous throughout it, God's still providentially working through those very things to fulfill his covenant. He fulfills his covenant in ways that prove that his power doesn't just work in the miraculous, big, mighty things. While we should seek those, while we, while we want to see those happen in our lives, in this church, wherever we are, we have to recognize that God works in very ordinary events that occur in our lives. Even maybe think about how you came into relationship with God. Maybe it was a happenstance that you met a certain person, or maybe think about your job that you love and feel like God lined up for you. All the people and things that he lined up to get you there. So, through placing us in specific places for specific purposes, through causing or allowing certain things like even sleeplessness, through connecting certain people with us who can encourage us to step into difficult, important tasks or giving us favor with certain people, just like Esther had favor with the king. God is always making a way for his will to be done for us. He's always making a way for what's best for our lives. But we don't get to experience the beauty of that unless we respond to God in faith. Unless our faith leads us to some kind of action. For Esther, it was, let's pray, let's fast, and then I'm going to step into this and do this. I'm going to go before the king. For Moses, he had to raise his staff before he saw the Red Sea part. And Joshua, as we went through that series, we saw that the priests had to dip their feet in the Jordan before the flow of it could stop. And for Mary, she had to remove the stone before Lazarus was raised. So what's maybe one thing that God is asking of you? What's a step of faith that he's asking you to take to see his plans unfold in your life? The story of Esther it illustrates that human action is a part of God's divine providence, yet God can and will, like I said, accomplish his will, whether we're on board or not, so we get the, the choice and the decision to make. But God invites us into that. He wants us to be a part of it. I'm going to invite uh, the worship team back up as we close out. The reality is that God sees us where we are, and he has plans for us. It's up to us to seek him. I just keep going back and thinking, like, Mordecai, how did he feel? <laughs> like, limited outside of that gate in the king's court he couldn't get in his ethnicity was preventing him it was seemingly leading to his demise his death but he was faithful and he and he was aware of what god was doing so for us as we talk about god's divine providence i think it should lead us to say god where do you where are you working in our lives and if nothing else it should lead us to a, a place of greater, deeper gratitude for what God 
does in our lives, for how he cares for us, for how he loves us. And it's easy to doubt that sometimes when we feel like we're not living out exactly what God has for us. But there's no right time, right, to step into relationship with God and to pursue the things that God has planned for us. There's no right time to start to look around and and look for those things that God's orchestrating, God's working in our lives. The time is now. God's grace and mercy is here. It's now. It's right before you. You just have to respond in faith. You just have to invite God to do that work in your life and to reveal to you those things. You just have to choose to worship when all else seems like it's going to crap. (laughs) To choose to run to God instead of allow it to build a wall between him and you. So we'll just sing a song and worship and uh, just invite God in during this this last song of worship to, to break down any walls that maybe you've built up to show you where, where you feel limited and where you feel like you're out of place at the wrong time, things aren't going well in certain areas of your life, to invite God in to bring you peace, to bring you rest, to give you a glimmer of hope in some way, if nothing else, through his love for you, through him just saying, you're my child, I care for you, I want good for you. Proverbs 8.28, it's one of the first memory verses I, ha- I, I memorized. and it's We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Just love God. Just seek to do whatever you know best to do in your relationship with God. And we're here to help guide you along in that, whatever that looks like. But he causes things to work out for our good. And we're humans, we don't see the full picture, so even when things start to look bad, we don't know what God's doing next. So let's choose to trust in Him. We'll just sing a song of worship and commit ourselves to that.